Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Eric Van Horn from Franchise Secrets. If you want to learn how to connect with the best, you should be listening to Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. Welcome to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I chat with some of the world's top business influencers, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs in order to crack the code of networking. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know, and that your relationships ultimately determine the person that you become. So if you want to learn the new way of connecting, if you want to fill your network with quality people and skyrocket your results, then you're in the right place because this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Yo, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Build Your Network Podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with a good friend of mine, Eric Van Horn. Eric was just an average kid who grew up in a small town in South Dakota, but then in his 20s, stumbled into his first franchise and it was in the tax industry, which is an industry that he knew nothing about, but through hard work and dedication, he ended up becoming one of the company's top new franchisees in just his first year of business. And since then, he's owned multiple franchise brands in different states and has helped hundreds of people invest into franchises that fit them best. Guys, it's going to be a really interesting conversation. I can't wait to get into some things with Eric. But first, really quickly, if you are a six or seven figure entrepreneur and you know how beneficial a podcast would be for your business. You know that it can increase your credibility and authority, get you, you know, booked on more stages or maybe even book deals or whatever it, the case may be for your particular situation, but you just don't know how to go about worrying about all the backend stuff, how to produce the show and edit and show notes and media hosts and publications and uh, equipment and all that good stuff, then have me and my team build a show for you. Head over to travischapel.com slash make my podcast. Um, that way you can focus on what you're good at, which is servicing your clients and customers. And we can focus on what we're good at, which is building really good, world-class, high-quality podcasts. So travischapel.com slash make my podcast. Eric, what's up, man? Thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Man, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me on. 
Yes, sir. So let's go ahead and dive right in, build a little bit of context for those listening. Talk to us about uh, early childhood Eric. Let's say, uh, let, let's put you 11-year-old Eric. What were you up to back then? You know, family life, parents, school, academics, sports. What was life like for you back then? Average C student on the, I was a swimmer, so I used to be on swim team until I wrecked my shoulders in high school and surgeries took care of that. Um, did you, did you hurt your shoulders swimming? Swimming back then really? we didn't, yeah, we didn't have, and my shoulders were naturally loose. So that, you know, made me a bit better swimmer, but it also caused my shoulders to like certain muscles get bigger, other ones not. And I had dis my, both my shoulders would dislocate three directions. So we oh, had to find goodness. a really, really good doctor. Shout out to the Stedman Hawkins clinic in Vail, Colorado for uh, finally taking care of me there. Wow. That's but, crazy. Okay. So, so pick up so, right, right there. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, you know, swimming. Um, and then I really enjoyed that. Uh, but I lived in the, in South Dakota in the Black Hills. So mm. everything outdoors, I was the guy that was rock climbing, biking, hiking, fishing, camping. That, that yeah. was me. Um, and still is me to, to a lot of degrees, but that, that's what I did. That's what I love. Family, a great home. Uh, my, my uh, sister and I with parents who are still married today and just a great family life. My parents uh, turned entrepreneurs when I was a little bit younger than that. And so I grew up in a house of a uh, you know, father who left his uh, just a normal job to create something bigger and better. And he did that. So I was, you know, I'd be, be home and all of a sudden the phone would ring and they would say, quiet, it's a business call, you know, and of course they're recorded to a <laughs> right. wall and the, us kids, we just knew just to shut up. And, and so I just grew up watching them, you know, run their business and deal with employees and, and all that stuff. So awesome. that was me. Really cool. And especially in an area like that, to have an example right in front of you in your own household uh, had to be highly valuable because obviously you don't get a ton of exposure into a bunch of different business models when you grow up living in the Black Hills of South Dakota, right? <laughs> no, that is for sure. So yeah. no, I had a firsthand, I, the, the advantage and the disadvantages of it, right? And I sure, remember early yeah. on with my dad, he made a the decision when I was in middle school, high school to not always just work. work working more did not necessarily mean more value. And True. so he uh, purposely started to spend more time at home when us kids were getting off of school to be with us. And so that's what I mean. I grew up in a really good family with parents that were intentional with that. And so they put a lot of, a lot of value in time that they spent with us kids. Yeah. So tell me about um, uh, leading up into like young adult life. Was college on the horizon? Was it like a, a, a required thing in your household? It was definitely not required. Um, actually, my parents, neither one of them uh, graduated college. And it was when I was in high school, I think it was my junior year, maybe even my senior year, I realized, you know, next is, you know, it's no longer school, no longer living at home. You have to do something. And I grew up in the family business, which was like hard work, hard labor, um, building things and tearing things apart. And I'm, and I remember thinking, I don't want to do the manual labor when I'm, when I'm out of high school. And so I, I chose that. one college to go to <laughs> one college. And I thought, uh, it was Montana state university because they had, it was, you know, not home and it was uh, close enough to drive and they had mountain biking and snow, a lot of good snow skiing and fly fishing and rock climbing and all the kind of stuff 
that I loved when I was, you know, 10, 11, 12, I still loved when I was 18 and 19. And that's how I chose what college I was going to. And, and I went there and I was really originally going to get a criminal justice degree just to uh, like want to go into the FBI or something like that. That was Mm -hmm. what I was thinking about back at that time. And then um, I ended up uh, being there for two years, took a year off, went to a local uh, college back here my in my hometown and graduated with a degree in business. But make no mistake about it, Travis, I was an average C student because I was more interested in doing all kinds of other things besides mm. school. Yeah. I mean, even just your description of how you chose your school, that was evident, you know, that you were thinking, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, let me pick my school based on what's cool to do outside of school. <laughs> yeah, <exactly> uh, <laughs> um, just out of curiosity, man, where do you live? Uh, where do you live nowadays? So today I'm in a town called Spearfish, South Dakota. Okay, and so still South in, Dakota. In South, yeah, and it's in the Black Hills. So it's like awesome. uh, between between uh, like the mountains of Colorado and and Minnesota. So it's it's a great area. And and have you lived there basically your entire life up to this point, or did you live somewhere else for a time? Graduated college, I was in, um, and then I went to Virginia to, I was originally going to go to law school. Then I realized okay. a C student going into law school was not going to be a fun, uh, fun time. <laughs> sure. So then I started up a, a little landscaping business there and started real estate investing. And, uh, and I lived there for a number of years and then Austin, Texas. And so okay. between the, between Virginia beach and Austin, I was away for 10 years. Then I had my first baby with my wife and we moved back home. Got it. So you basically wanted to be back home to raise your family where you uh, kind of where you were raised. That's exactly it. And, and I okay. could choose where I wanted to live. And that's where I chose. Yeah, to me, that's one of the coolest parts about entrepreneurship in in terms of like uh, uh, having a business that doesn't require you to be in a specific location. Um, and I think that a lot of people don't place enough value on that uh, as, as they should. And I think that sometimes we get so wrapped up in building businesses that we end up living a life that we think we have to live instead of mm-hmm. living a life that we want to live. And um, you could have easily justified staying in Austin, Texas, which is a booming um, economy in and of itself and a booming area in terms of really everything. Businesses are moving there. The real estate is being developed um, at, at an exponential rate. And um, the the economy, the local economy there is growing as well as the zero state income tax. Like there's so many like reasons that you could have justified staying in Austin, but ultimately you were just like, hey, I want to raise my family over here. And so that's what I'm going to do. And so props to you for um, for having the you know fortitude and the clarity to make that decision and, and head back home to raise your family there. So um, this episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented 
with quality candidates, like, like, like hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Kind of getting back into your story a little bit. Talk to me about the first moment that you realized that you were onto something in your business career. Because you said that you did landscaping and then real estate, and then you stumbled into this tax franchise. So talk to me about, like, like clear up some, some, some cloudiness there in that timeline. So there's, a, there's a, a time in that that will wrap it all together. I was out working in like 100 degree weather on some lady's lawn who had been, you know, she, she was an elderly lady with her and her husband. They brought me a glass of water, you know, around lunchtime because they felt bad for me. And they basically said, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I said, I want to be a real estate investor. I want to be in business. And she said, oh, we bought some real estate about 20 years ago and um, it bought down by the beach. And now we just want to sell it. And so the next thing that came out of my mouth was, well, how much do you want for it? And she said, we just want someone to take over our mortgage. We don't need to get anything for it. We just want someone to take over our mortgage. And I knew that uh, she probably had an assumable mortgage. She brought out her mortgage statement and right there said assumable mortgage, which isn't very common, right? And so I wrote up a very simple option contract that said for, and I gave her $100 and I said, I'll buy your house, close within 30 days and I'll pay your closing costs and I get to assume your mortgage. And then I, my next call was to my parents and I said, Hey, guess what? I don't have any money to buy this thing, but here's the deal. This is what I found the person that wants to sell. I want to buy this. There's money to be made with little risk. And they said, that sounds too good to be true. My broker, real estate broker at the time said, guys, I don't know how Eric did this, but if you don't do this, I will do it. And the deal was <laughs> we'll go 50, 50 partners. You put up, 100% of the down payment or the, the closing costs and I'll pay you back on the back end because I didn't have the money for it. And so I ended up doing that with my parents. I, I, uh, we closed on it together. Within months, they had bought me out and now I had more money than I've ever had in my entire life combined just, in, just because I, I found an opportunity and I found someone to help me with it and, and then I put it together and then I had, like I said, a lot of money for me at the time and then I was, um, had some friends that were looking at buying businesses and one of them was in the tax industry mm-hmm. and they ended up going to uh, a meeting, a convention and met the founder and thought it was a great thing. And I ended up going with them. And within a, another few months, I had found myself of being an owner of a tax franchise and I'd never been in, in, in the tax business. I, uh, I didn't, I don't know anything about taxes. I still, I've never prepared a tax return for anybody. 
but I got into that business and because the founder was a charismatic guy uh, and seemed to had a history of success in business and I wanted to learn from him and that's why that's how I first got into the tax business. Yeah, that's crazy. Why not pursue real estate if the first deal went so well for you? What was there something that made this other path a little bit more clear maybe? Like what what was the what do you, do you remember the reasoning behind that? There was a consistent cash flow for mm-hmm. me at the time and then mentoring in business cuz real estate to me at that time was not business and I wanted to be in business oh, and real gotcha. estate was flipping and what I was and to to continue to to buy more businesses before they were cash flowing i continued to put myself in a position to be able to buy and sell houses and i was buying houses subject to so there's a clause in a in a mortgage statement where you could where you can basically take over the house payments and this is when people were starting to go into foreclosure yeah. and so i started to do some of the deals that the people that i knew they weren't rich enough for them but they were certainly rich enough for me and so i was flipping houses as i was uh getting into the into the tax business as well got it got it okay cool so talk to me about two three lessons that you learned in your first year of owning a franchise? Don't expand too fast. And um, I'm glad I kind of learned that back then. Uh, we opened up, so I ended up partnering with my parents in that business as well. I bought it myself and I and then I was ready to start myself. And then we said, why don't we just combine forces since the first real estate deal worked out so well, we'll just do business together. And so we, we, uh, we started uh, multiple locations at the same time. And that is exponentially more work to do and more things to go wrong. It was good in a way that we, we were able to do it and we expanded fast, but it definitely made things harder. So, um, and then, so I wouldn't grow so fast so quickly. Another thing that I, that I uh, would not do again is I, I would realize, I want to know, um, let me back up. When you start, you learn so much your first year in business, for me, in, in whatever business that is. And, and it makes that second, uh, the second location or whatever that, that particular thing is so much easier if you already have made some mistakes the first time. So that's another reason to kind of wait and, and grow slowly. Um, and then the other thing is, is just location. Um, and I've, I've learned this along the way I mean, everyone, everyone says location, 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 but I've just seen it to be so true. And I know that I'm not magic at picking locations. I've done this in multiple brands, Travis, mm. and, um, and some of it's luck picking the location, but, um, in the right demographic, but that there's nothing more important than getting into the right demographic with the right location. And, um, sometimes, you know, that can be, that can make or break your success. And just to expand on that just a little bit more. When I owned Solo Salon Studios in Orange County, California, we had 12 locations. There was the top performing location, which was our uh, second or third one that we opened up, and our dog location, which was, you know, right before or after that one. It was number two or three. They were so different in how they opened up. Same ownership group, same management team, same everything. Everyone thought the dog location was going to be the great one and the other one would just be okay. And it turned out to be the complete opposite. We couldn't get the dog location to get profitable very quickly. And the other one, we couldn't do anything but print money at it. Wow. Uh, How do you you cope with those types of things as an entrepreneur? Like just the total and complete sometimes just luck or 
bad luck in a situation. How, how do you how do you take responsibility and ownership as the franchise owner and and continue to expand business and like have a positive attitude going forward and feel confident taking on another venture? Well, I realize that you need to have multiple locations too, because some of them are going to be good. Some of them aren't. So the sooner that you can, for me, if it's a retail concept, this is, you know, pre COVID, the sooner that I can get to three locations, the, the better that I'll probably be because I can have a, a management team that, that is deeper. And I, so from an employee standpoint, it's, it's, I can have better employees with three locations. A manager quits somewhere else. I have two other managers that can kind of take over at a time. So I usually want to get to three locations right away. And I just know that I'll be okay mentally if one of them is not a great location because as I talk yeah. to a lot of different op- entrepreneurs in the retail space, that happens at different times, whether it's a, man- a management issue, customer issue, or location issue, and just being okay with that and really look at what the problem is and then try to solve that problem. And with real estate, there's, a, there's not very much you can do to solve that problem, but if it's increased marketing or whatever it is, you, you try to solve that problem. But then also for me, knowing like I'm not perfect and I will make mistakes and businesses that I get into are not always going to to be perfect either and I might pick some bad ones and for the first uh, you know 15 years of my business career I didn't really pick a bad business I and and I realized I was getting lucky and and something just would like rest over me thinking at some point something's not going to turn to gold not everything I touched turned to gold but it certainly didn't go south I'd, I'd made money on everything that I touched in the business world up until mm-hmm. you know a, a number of years ago and it was at that point when I got into one business that was not that great of a business I, I had my first you know punch in the face punch in the gut I was on the John Lee Dumas podcast a while ago um, a few years ago and he said like what's the you know the, the worst thing that's happened a question that he asked often mm-hmm. and I didn't have an answer because I really didn't have a big business tragedy or mistake until I had one and yeah. so I knew it was coming in some ways I was like good I made I made a bad decision on this I didn't do enough due diligence I didn't see certain things coming. But, you know, I made so many other good choices. I'm okay with that bad choice. And I know what it feels like now. And I'm, and I'm, I'm surviving and I'm thriving in other areas. So it didn't take me down. But what it also did, again, back to that first thing, don't expand too fast. Don't grow mm-hmm. too fast. And it just reinforced that. And even now in this, in this post-COVID world, I look back and, and I was, I've always been somewhat uh, cautious or trying to hedge growing too fast against everything else from a safety standpoint. And I'm glad right now I'm not in a position where I'm overly leveraged on any of my businesses and I have not found myself like with too many businesses that, that um, are going to cause me big issues um, in, the, in the weeks and years ahead. If somebody's listening right now and they are thinking about starting a business, I, I have to assume that some of the success that you were able to see, and this, by the way, this is not taking anything away from you, um, but um, but I'm I'm just kind of pointing it out as an observation. Um, with that many successes that you had in a row, from having going from zero experience to the experience that you have now, do you think that some of that was to do with the fact that you were choosing franchises as your primary mode of business? Because these are like provable business models with systems and everything already kind of built in. And if so, would that also be your advice for like a budding entrepreneur that wants to get into business, but just doesn't know where to start? 
I think so. I mean, it's a double-edged sword with franchises, right? Sometimes people are too entrepreneurial and that's where I'm, I'm headed. I'm becoming a franchisor in the roofing, siding and gutter space. So I'm the franchisor in that business with some of my business partners with franchisor experience and with fran- uh, industry experience. And I think, you know, if you have a franchisor, the parent company that is, has somebody with franchising experience and somebody with the actual industry experience and they, they, they're proven entrepreneurs themselves, then they're your partners, right? Mm-hmm. And I picked good partners, good franchisors early on that had that type of experience. And, and then they didn't sell to private equity very quickly either. So they were, their head was in the game and they were growing it. And so I think with anything, right, it's if you pick a bad partner, that's going to have an impact on your business. So yeah, I 100% agree. A lot of my success is picking the right, the right partner in the franchise or, and picking the right partners in general. I haven't always done things just myself. There are certain businesses that I've done just myself, certain franchises that it's just me, but I'm a big fan of partnering with the right person, you know, picking the right jockey with the right business or the right horse. And then that's a success. So I know yeah. my strengths and know my weaknesses and I need to find partners that can complement uh, compliment me in those areas. So like, I mean, since my first franchise in the tax business and I sold that 10 years ago, I've gone on to do what took me uh, uh, 10 years to do one franchise. I've gone on to be a partner in uh, six or seven different franchise brands in the last 10 years. Wow. So things have just exploded for me since, but I took everything that I learned early on and especially partnering with the right brands and bringing on the right partners. And that's allowed me to expand so quickly with different businesses. So let's talk about that then. Let's say somebody's listening to this, you know, and they maybe have some good relationships with some good people that would be good partners, but they'd have no idea what that partnership even looks like. Can you kind of break down Maybe, maybe even an example, a specific example from, um, if you're allowed to, obviously, uh, with paperwork and things like that, that from your um, business dealings that would be able to help somebody maybe get in the mindset of like, okay, you know, because some people just don't have any frame of reference, right? Like, hey, yeah. if I have money, but I don't have time, how much of the business typically should the person funding it get versus how much, how much should the person that's putting in all their time get? Or if we're splitting the investment 50-50, but we're also putting in equal time, what's the, you know what I'm saying? Like, can yeah. you kind of walk us through some of those ideas? Gosh, it goes all over the place. I'll kind of give some specifics of, of, of mine and then we'll kind of look at, at uh, what other things I've seen out yeah, there as perfect. well. Perfect. So, and I know some people that take, you know, they, they do very little for a lot of equity. And we're starting to do some of that as a franchisor. So franchisors wanting to partner with me and my team. And my team, again, has a lot of franchising experience. So it's not just me. What we'll do is we will, we will help them you know, for maybe 10 or 15 or 20% equity and we will come in, they'll give us equity and we will give some strategic advice, board seat, things like that. And so that's one of the things that we do at the franchisor level. If they want us to, if someone is a fran- has a really good business idea, they want to expand through franchising, what my team and I'll do is we will take the majority of the, of the company in terms of equity, we'll be putting in a good amount of our own cash to be able to take this thing that's a good concept, good proven track record, but we'll put systems and processes and leadership behind it. And then with the sales process to get that out in front of franchisees so it can expand that way. So those are some partnerships that I'm doing at the franchise or level. 
let's take a step back and look at the franchisee level. Uh, it recently, in the last handful of partnerships, what I've done is I'll come in with equal money in. My time is uh, maybe an hour a week and I will get equal equity. Same money in, equal equity. They're putting in hours. I'm putting in one hour in terms of a conference call and some leadership. And it's more of a strategic partnership that way because I've, I've just been, I've seen it. I've been around the block. I know what happens and I know they come to me with a problem. I have a solution. So they come to me and they want that from me. Others don't want that. And, and this is not, not a partnership that's going to work. So that's what I've been doing recently. Now, even to take a, to go into a different area and interrupt me anytime, Travis, that you want to dive into something, but let me talk about partnerships that um, I'm seeing out there. Um, People that are successful in corporate America or business ownership, and they have deeper pockets. They want to partner with someone that maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a, it's somebody that they know that's younger, that has the hustle that wants to get into business. And it's more of that mentoring type relationship. And they believe in that person. They'll do some type of partnership together. And I'm starting to see that, you know, the person that's in corporate America, they're working like crazy or they used to be. And, and they have somebody that they just know is going to be successful. So for them, they get a manager with equity that, that, and then they got ownership. They got an ownership mindset. And now they're partners and they're partnering on smaller businesses. Maybe it's like a service-based business. And I'm seeing this happen more and more in today's world as well. People are very interested in service-based kind of bulletproof concepts that, that they don't have to worry about COVID or they don't have to worry about big rents and, and all kinds of liabilities. It's you know inexpensive to get into and they can start generating revenue right after they're trained by the franchisor and they're partnered with someone that they trust and I think that's a big piece of it. So we can go into some of the, what I look for in a partner if you want, or if you want to head a different direction, we can do it. Yeah. I mean, I wish we had more time here to kind of discuss a little bit further on the, on the partnership stuff. Um, but I do want to talk a little bit about relationships and networking and things towards the end of this call. Before we move into that though, I do have one quick question for you on franchises as well. Do you have any franchises that you are particularly excited about in 2020? Uh, maybe even with the COVID stuff in mind after we come out of this um, quarantine time, is there, is there, are there any franchises that you're looking at that maybe are, you know, relatively lower startup costs or maybe, uh, maybe uniquely higher margins or like anything that you're particularly excited about that people should look into? Yeah, here's some, I'll give some industries and in industries, there's some that are brands that are really good and not so good. So um, you can go to franchisesecrets.com and that kind of, you know, you can download my ebook or get some information that way, or we can talk at some point, but let me give you some industries, um, a variety of industries, service-based industries. Like I was just talking about very good. Think restoration like serve pro where they where or the roofing industry, the one that I'm getting involved with mm-hmm. because it's all insurance-based work. It's all need-based type business, pest control, that type of stuff. I'm talking to those guys, uh, restoration, pest control, their numbers are doing really well right now from the franchisees that I've been talking to inside my mastermind. Okay. Um, from a retail standpoint, anything that has a mobile aspect to it is, is doing, doing really well. Um, and think about like the IV, you know, you, you go and you need to get healthy, you need vitamins and you can get that through an IV, um, you know, so something that has a brick and mortar and a retail comp- uh, and a mobile component to it or anything with a mobile component to it is really attractive right now. The last thing I'll say with that is franchise resales. So someone that had been in business 
and now they experience COVID. They don't want to be in business anymore. They want to sell that business. I have a, a group that I put together called franchiseresales.com and I'm just matching buyers and sellers. I'm not, I'm just like 10 bucks a month and, and I'm just letting people find each other there. Hmm. But there are people that want to buy and take over risk and that's a way to do it if you want to get into the gym industry or, or different industries that are brick and mortar that are getting hit hard. There are people that want to get into that. So that might be an option for people as well. Awesome, man. Love it. So let's kind of chat a little bit about uh, networking relationship building. I obviously know that that's something that's hugely important to you because we are both in a mastermind that cost us $100,000. So I know that it would not <laughs> be something that you would do if you didn't value relationships in some way. So can you kind of talk about a little bit how relationships and connections have led you to huge moments of success in your life? Early on in franchising, I put myself around the top performing franchisees in each of these brands that I was a part of. And I realized that that had a large impact on my success. So not only did I find out what the franchisor was doing right, but I found out what each top performing franchisee was doing right. That put me into this place of used to being one of the dumbest guys in the room. I got comfortable never being the smartest guy in the room. And then I've been in, in different parts of franchising where I found myself the smartest guy in the room or one of them. And I quickly realized I did not want to be in that room anymore and I needed to level up. A few years ago, I started getting to the mastermind uh, game. I got a part of uh, uh, one that was a $30,000 a year mastermind and built a lot of relationships. And it just took everything to a whole nother level because now people were paying to be a part of these different groups. And it was really, you know, that $30,000 one was harder for me to do the first time than the $100,000 one. But the friendships, the networking, the value that I got out of being in these rooms with the right people, in, even in different industries, different mindsets, different backgrounds was just absolutely tremendous. So I just have become a huge fan of, uh, of being in masterminds or just creating my own and being around the right people and getting comfortable in those, in those uh, environments as well. So it's been an absolute game changer for me to say the least. Yeah, I love that. So let me ask you this question, Eric. It's the question I ask every single guest that's ever come on the show. Who you know or what you know? Which of those two is more important and why? Who you know. Uh, the doors are, doors are opened up for me by who I know. And, and then I'm leaning on their credibility and I have to be good and genuine and, 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 and who I am, Sure, but they know me and they can open up things, uh, faster than I could myself without a doubt. So that's an easy one for me. I hope it's the right answer. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's the right answer, but, uh, I like to frame it that way because a lot of people say what, and uh, it's a good conversation, good discussion to have usually. So, um, but, uh, yeah, always, always kind of, uh, always kind of glad to hear that when somebody agrees with my point of view on that, cause I just think that it's so much more important. So, um, Eric, thanks so much for coming to the show today, man. I'm looking forward to the next time we can hang out in person. Um, before we close out here, can you let the listeners know where the best place to connect with you would be? franchisesecrets.com will be the best place to uh, to find anything about me whether you're a franchise or a franchisee or want to get into either one of those franchisesecrets.com Perfect. So head over to franchisesecrets.com to learn anything more about Eric or franchising in any way. And I uh, highly recommend going and checking out some of Eric's stuff. He even has a podcast that I was just on recently um, where he helps a lot of franchisees and franchisors in that industry as well. So Eric, thank you so much for coming on the show today, brother. Seriously, I had a fantastic time chatting with you as always. Yeah, same here, Travis. Thanks, man. 
Well, that's it for today's show. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you want more advanced networking strategies, as well as an instant network upgrade, then consider partnering with my BYN Inner Circle Mastermind. There are already dozens of high quality entrepreneurs in the group, dozens of video lessons on networking, monthly calls, there's accountability crews, and more, all for the low investment of just $99 a month. So head over to BYNInnerCircle.com to jump in. That's BYNInnerCircle.com. Thanks so much for joining us on today's show. See you next time. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.